on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Well, we're ready. Are you ready out there? Three questioner listeners. I got to think of a name for you people. I mean, uh, Dak Shepard has all kinds of cute things to call you. Oh, like, Even, like questionnaires or? Yeah, or, yeah questionnaires. Questionites. You know, you three Qs, <laughs> you dirty Qs. Uh, triple Qs? Yeah. Yeah, you, you triple Qs, you Q cubes. Yeah. Q cubes. Triple Qs is almost more um, syllables than Yeah, the next three, three questions, questions yeah. I know. Uh, well, that's Seth Green. He's my guest today. You probably guys, you guys probably knew that. I mean, does anybody really stumble upon a podcast not I don't, knowing? I don't who think it's accidental. There, there must be some kind of podcast roulette app where you could, you know, go through what you have available and and just select and something just goes at random. So, yeah, yeah, but I doubt there'd be a "what the hell am I listening to" <laughs> moment for anybody. Ah, that sounds like Seth Green. Oh God, who ah. is this? <laughs> Well, you and I have known each other for a zillion years. Yeah. You've been kind of coming on. When was the first time you were on the Conan show? Uh, in 98. 98. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how old were you in 1998? Uh, early 20s. Early maybe, 20s. Maybe 22, Do you, Was it for like Austin Powers or I something? I think the first time I came on was for Can't Hardly Wait. Uh-huh. And I, I just remember, because I, I loved the show. I watched the hell out of the show from the very first oh, cool. uh, time it was on the air. And I was super I excited because it was- uh, I was bored with it by well, the time. Why that, would you? I it, almost it never watch no. things that I'm in. <laughs> Especially not a daily show. Oh, That'd no. be exhausting. No. it would. People would always like, do your family? No, they don't care at all. Like, did your kids see that? No, no, they don't. It's no on their calls. dad. No one's why even would attentive. My dad, you know, no, I mean, th- th- like my mother watched every show. Show. Oh, she did? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's and, very had, sweet. And, and had a huge VHS library of them. Uh, yeah. You know, which I, I think my sister finally begged her, like, those exist elsewhere. Yeah, you that, that innovation, with, like yeah, the yeah. digital uh, filing was, was one of the greatest yes, things yes. prior to that. Right. Yeah. I remember going to uh, Michael Richards' house at one point and seeing. It was a prized possession at the time. It was a VHS library of all of Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. And then just uh, a couple years later when it came out on DVD and the entire seasons were the size of a hardbound book, I was like, oh, man. Yeah. I wonder if he just had a VHS smashing party. A a valuable commodity becomes clutter in like one second. Well, I interrupted you. You were saying when you came on the show that you were a fan. Oh, yeah, Yeah. I was. And it was so fun just because I like uh, improvising and I I like – 
you know, creative conversations. And that whole segment was just awesome. Like you guys yeah. were so cool. And uh, we had a ton of playful interaction. It was like a really great spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I, it was, well, and I mean, I, it all blends together. I just, I feel like I've known you now for well, forever. Shit, it's been twenty years. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, yeah, and even though we only see each other uh, at talk show stuff or at other people's social events, yes, yes, it still feels like, oh yeah, there's Andy. You're, yeah, a, yeah. you're a safe port in a in a wild Absolutely. storm. Absolutely. Yeah, and we do see. Um, we've seen each other at weddings, and I don't know if uh, but any birthdays funerals. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Birthdays. Uh, and stuff. Have I seen you at funerals? No. I'm sure we've been to a couple of the same funerals. I usually make funerals all about me, so I'm not really aware of who else is there. Yeah. Even if I'm not invited to eulogize the person, I will, from the audience, yeah, yeah. talk about my personal grief. Yep. I was at a funeral where they talked about competitive grieving, and I thought that Did was- Did they really talk about it? It was very, very oh, funny. Wow. Every person that came up was like, well, I, I just have to say, I'm the most hurt by his loss, and yeah, uh, yeah. it's really important- that everyone understand how how I figure into yes. this. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been to a lot of comedy funerals, but I have been. I mean, and I'm they're on their way. You know, I'm 52. Yeah. They're they're coming. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I went. I got to go, and I really do say this that I got to go to Rodney Dangerfield's funeral. Oh wow! Because I had done I had just done like a couple of spots with him. And by spots, I just mean like weird gigs. You know how it, you don't know what to call them, but yeah. like he and I were in the same place, both getting paid to do something. And we just hit it off. I really liked him. And I, you know, like he to this day, I think is like my favorite Howard Stern interview ever. Mm-hmm. The one where he talked about being close to death and not believing in anything and wow. how fucking chilling that was. Jesus, I haven't It's heard worth that. looking up. It's worth <laughs> looking up. Um, but. His funeral was fucking hilarious. I'll bet. And it was, and there were lots, and I mean, like the funniest I have ever seen Jay Leno be. Oh. Because it was mean Jay Leno. <laughs> it was mean, <laughs> fuck all of you, Jay Leno. Wow. Yeah, it was, fa- but I mean, like in a, you know. Yeah. Like that was what, that was what everyone, it was a kind of a roast, not so much of Rodney as it was everyone else in the room. And it was just, it was hilarious. It oh, was shit. so, so funny. You know? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, forget about funerals. <laughs> Let's talk about the beginning of your life. Because you're not from here. You seem to me to be, you spent so much time in California of your yeah. life. But you're from Philadelphia, is that yeah. right? Yeah, I grew up in Philadelphia and uh, started working really young and took the train to New York four to five times a week for wow. auditions and then lived in New York for lengthy periods when I was working on stuff that that shot there. Um, I came out to California, I think when I was nine years, eight or nine years old to screen test for something and then uh, kept coming back for you know auditions that got down to the wire or stuff yeah. that, I, that I booked. Um, and then I lived in all different places when I was working, but I moved out to LA for good, uh, right before I turned 17. Okay. Yeah. And what did your folks do? Uh, both my parents were teachers. Were teachers. Yeah. And how did it, how does a kid go, I want to get on the train and go to New York and act? What, do you remember a moment where you're like, that's what I want to do? I do. I grew up loving performing and, and I realized very young that I was an adept mimic and I would work to vocally sound like cartoon characters or uh-huh. other performers. I practiced accents. And before I even understood that that was a thing, it was just something that I was inspired to do. Yeah. And so I knew I loved um, making an audience feel something, whether it was um, you know comedic or dramatic. I just really enjoyed telling stories. Yeah. Um, and I and loved you just mean like at 
parties your parents would throw and stuff. Yeah. Not necessarily even like a school play or no. a church function. Just no, like I'd you knew on, like you'd like to put on shows for people. I did. I'd put on costumes. I'd play characters. My sister and I would, you know, do bits and stuff. And then I was six years old. And I had two experiences where my mom was working at a summer camp, two different camps, and I got to participate in one was a talent show that the the uh, CI the counselors in training put mm-hmm. on, and they let me play a small part and do like the the act breaks between the performances, like MC, kind of. Like we, they had a six year old MC. That's fantastic. A little bit. What the, a great idea. It was very silly. The yeah. whole the whole sketch concept was a Star Trek type parody where there's a space team that's traveling through the galaxy and stopping at each of these planets, and on each of the planets is an act. And so I was the captain of the ship, and we had like a shootout at the beginning, and then. Uh, we were moving from place to place, and I would ask the the Chekhov character, like, where are we headed now? And they would give us an intro, and then we'd set up the next act. Yeah. Um, and I just loved it. It was uh, one of the first times I went up on a line. I didn't even know that that was a thing. They prompted me from the wings, and I, I picked it up and felt really cool about that. But then there was another summer camp, and the teenagers were putting on a play. This is the next summer? The A different summer, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, – I got, I begged them. I begged them relentlessly. In fact, this one actually might've happened first. Um, I just wanted to be a part of the show. I knew they were putting on a show and I wanted to be a part of it. And they refused to let me have anything to do with it. And were like, stop coming around to our rehearsals. You're incredibly annoying. Yeah. And then uh, the second, the the summer camp went for two terms, you know, like four weeks here and then four weeks again. So they refused to let me be a part of the first play. But then I wore down uh, their resolve. And in the second play, they gave me one line at the very end before the last review. And that was it. And I did it. I was there for the rehearsal. I watched everybody putting on their makeup and all, all of the, the tech run through and learning the songs and doing the dance yeah. and everything. And we, we did it, you know? And so like the, the showtime comes and it's my cue and I take the stage, I say my line, I'm there for the song. And then we all take our bow. And I was certain in that moment, taking my bow, I was like, oh, well, this is what I do. Yeah. This is, this is everything in me was vibrating in perfect harmony in that moment. And it's a, it's a sensation that I, that I hold fast to because it's nothing, nothing in my life feels that same way. Wow. Yeah. And what? What do your parents think when you say, like, I mean, do they know what they're in for? Do no. they, I mean, they don't, uh, I'm imagining they don't have any experience with professional show business. Yeah. It just wasn't a thing like in my neighborhood, in my school, yeah. um, in is, either of my parents' school. It schools. is rarely any, anywhere is it a regular thing. You yeah. Know? It didn't seem probable to anybody, but yeah. you know, I, I think back on this and I'm really grateful. My parents were so encouraging because they, they let me run with this flight of fancy and they, yeah. they put me in several positions where it was possible for me to succeed. Um, and at every point they let it be my choice, even though it required an incredible commitment on both of their parts. Yeah. 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 And did, and how did, so how did you start working professionally? Just local agents doing commercials and stuff. Cause you were, yeah. I mean, I, when I first became aware of you as an actor in, I don't even know what it would have been. It probably would have been a TV show or a movie or something. And I was like, oh, it's that kid I've seen in commercials for a million years. (laughs) Yeah. Because you had such a, well, I mean, first of all, you were like the cutest child in the world. You're a handsome man. Hey, thanks, man. As a child. No, I mean, you were like, you know, you were a really cute little kid. Hey, thanks. I I always thought I was pretty goofy looking and my my teeth came in super crooked, but I, and I was short uh, and I had red hair and, and a funny name, but I read 
uh, at a, at a very high level. Yeah. And my vocabulary was such that it, it made me able to participate on a higher professional level, even at a, a really young age. Right. And probably play younger. Like always. that was probably yeah. a very attractive thing to casting agents because it always is yeah. with, with child performers. If you got a 15 year old that can play 11. Yeah. You're gold. Well, you know? I could because you can work them harder. It's the truth. Yeah, <laughs> and they did. They did. They worked the hell out of me. Yeah, but I, I, I wanted it too. Yeah. Like I really wanted it, and I was so convinced that that was my path. That I was hungry for every opportunity, and I just learned anything that I could. And anytime anybody gave me valuable information, I tried to integrate it into. Uh, what I was doing next. Yeah. yeah. And were and were there plays? Did you go to New York and do plays? I auditioned for all of it, everything from Les Mis to Into the Woods. I didn't get a lot of that. I didn't yeah. really get any of that. The first the first full-length play I did, I was in my 20s. Oh, okay. Um, I got to do American Buffalo, uh, which is a mammoth play, a three-person mammoth play. And we did it in a small round theater in uh, the Old Globe in San Diego. So oh, I lived cool. there for a summer. Oh, wow. Got the best education of my life. Yeah. Um, and that was the same summer that I booked uh, the first Austin Powers movie. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Wow. Now, do you have, when you're in, say like when you're in New York and you're staying there for stretches of time as a kid, is it your mom that's with? Is yeah. it your dad? That your, your mom comes Yeah, up? my mom was primarily my guardian for all of it. Occasionally, my dad would do it. But my mom had had quit teaching like the year before yeah. I, I started working professionally. So she was more available. Yeah. Is, yeah. Do, do they, as now that you're an adult, do they ever say it was rough on them sometimes to do this, to be carting you around all the time? For sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They both, they've both offered me that admission. No one's quite, no one's out and out said that I caused their breakup, but I definitely, oh. I didn't help <laughs> I them. I wasn't going for that. Well, I, I, I didn't help them spend any more time together. Yeah, or, you yeah. Know, I certainly didn't create opportunities for them to work through whatever issues they were having. Was that anything that you felt responsible for? When I really look back at my parents and how different my mom and dad are, it is shocking to me that they ever got together yeah. and not a surprise that they didn't stay together. Yeah. Their their needs, their tactics for problem solving are so different. Um, my sister and I joke that they likely only came together to make us and then that was it. It was, it was sort of to our benefit that they ever... Um, met up and yeah. not a surprise that they didn't that they didn't function. Yeah, I think like kind of I mean as an older person the notion of opposites attract is certainly true but opposites persevering I think is a little bit is a little trickier, you, you know, it's a little harder. You got to have stuff in common. You got to yeah. you got to approach problems in the same way. Yeah. You you have to be willing to communicate. You you have to have mutual interests or else you'll just yep. continually grow in opposite yeah, directions. Because all the, all the fire dies out and then you got to talk to each other. You yeah. know, you got, you got to really be yeah. able to, and that's like, and I, and I, I've, you know, I mean, now, like I say, like I'm older and I, see, I have seen throughout my life so many people getting together and just having this feeling of like, it's, you're going to reach a point where you guys are going to just have to be like, you know, it'll just be like one long Sunday afternoon. You're yeah. like, you know, and you got to just kind of figure out how to talk to each other. And you got to like each other. Yeah, you got to want to, want to spend time with each other. Yeah. Um, Chris Rock had my favorite joke about that. He was like, look, if you smoke crack, then your spouse has to smoke crack. Like, that's just <laughs> how it's got to go. Right. You kind of like the same stuff. Yeah. It's not going to work. Same thing. You know, like figure skating. It, it's yeah. just like crack. Yeah. You know, you got to, yeah. Uh, you hear that from every Olympian. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
so how old were you when your when your folks split? Uh, I was. It was. A, I think it was the year I turned fifteen. Okay, was when they officially split. But yeah. they had they had been falling apart for years before. You kind of knew that that was yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Did you have kind of like a little a little group of theater, you know, like auditioning kid friends, like when you were living in New York or away from home? Well, be, because it, it's not that the pool was small. It's just you would always see the same people. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. That's, and so I'm making I, did, that assumption. I, I had kind of a peer group that even though I wasn't close to, I, there were a couple kids that I would stay friends with. What's amazing, honestly, is, is now, you know, over 30 years later, anybody who's still here I've yeah. got I've got a handful of people that were around at the very beginning of my career. Yeah, yeah. And we're all still working, which is an incredible accomplishment. Yeah. I, we remind each other of the of I'm, our own I'm in the same stories. boat. Yeah, no, I mean I just you know, the Emmys were just uh last night and yeah. you know, and it's I'm sitting I was at home, but you know, I'm sitting here's all these people that I've known for thirty plus years, yeah. you know, at the at the Emmys and it's pretty I mean that in of in and of itself to be still like you said, all of us still working and still maintaining like a real friendship. You know yeah. what I mean? There's other people you fall out with and, you know, that along the way. But certainly those – and for me, it really truly is those people that I came up doing improv are the ones that have stuck through. I mean, I had other friends like, say, from college and film school and high school that not so much, you know, yeah. have we really kept up. But it's it's hard to keep up with anybody. Um and it's especially hard to stick around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I've talked about it with different people on this. It's like when you find the phrase we've used, I don't know who th- if it, somebody here said it, but it's finding your tribe. Mm. And that for me, it's kind of like those are the people that have stuck with me are the ones that are like, they're they're great in the similar ways that I think I'm great and also damaged in the ways that I'm <laughs> damaged. And so yeah. it all kind of works out that way. Yeah, there's – um. There's a wonderful tolerance and acceptance in this crazy carnival, you know, this, yeah. this whole, um, it's, it's, I, I don't know. When I first moved to LA, I, I found it was so important to shrink my world and not try and keep up with everyone and everything. It's very difficult as, as I've, as I've gotten more into producing, um, I found it even harder just to memorize all the details. Yeah. Cause it used to be, I just had to know all of the other actors and then it was, getting to know all of the directors or the producers or the casting directors. And the more I get into producing, it's like knowing all of the people at the network and all of the people at the agencies. And and then in each of the industries, it's, which are all the same thing. It has gotten harder and harder, especially as I've gotten older, just to keep all the facts and details. I'm terrible at that. And, And I have been terrible at it forever. And like I was, you know, in between my two stints with Conan, you know, I was on three different network television shows and I was always terrible. I mean, there were, there were people that I knew because I liked them. And so I would, I like, I know you and I, and like, we are friendly and we have drinks. And when I see you at these things, I'm so happy I have someone to talk to. And then there are these other people who, any adult with any sense of like business any business sense would go like, I really need to remember this guy's name. And the fucking spoiled brat in me is like, that guy's a dick. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, I know he holds power over me, but, you know, let other people talk to that guy because that guy's a dick. <laughs> and I kind of still am that way. And I now have been spoiled by years of 
living behind this huge shielding thing that's mm-hmm. called Conan O'Brien, who handles all of these things and goes to has to go to do all this hoop jumping. And I'm just like, nah, I'll see you at the show on Monday. You know, <laughs> fuck this. And it's terrible. It's like it. It's I'm eventually it's going to be a problem. But you know, and I, and I feel it every time I go to any kind of industry thing. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, my God, there's 40 faces here that are attached to names that I should know. Most people really understand. And I, I don't even have an ego about people remembering me. Like, it's always, it's always oh, incredibly I never pleasant do. if someone remembers you. I never do. But I'll also reintroduce myself all the time. Yeah. And I always appreciate when people remind me of their name or their context in that way. That, that way we're actually talking. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I meet like a thousand people a week. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to keep it all together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I always feel too, like, especially the, like the commissary here at Warner Brothers, it's always a whole cavalcade of familiar faces with people that I worked with for 18 hours a day for two weeks, <laughs> six years ago. Yeah. And they remember me, you know, yeah. they know I'm Andy Richter. And then I'm like, I know you're maybe Bob. Oh, Tom. Okay. Hi, Tom. <laughs> and are you a prop guy? Oh, you're, you know, audio. Okay. You know, I mean, yeah. I, it, there's just such a, you know. Well, and also people change in six years. Yes, and yes. so suddenly someone is more gray or they have purple yeah. hair now. Or I was like, hey, any you, number of you things. grew a beard, didn't you? And sometimes it's, no. I always had the beard. Fuck. <laughs> well, now, was it, uh, were there times that being a showbiz kid was a lonely thing? I yeah. Because you were certainly, I mean, you probably had kids when you were little and you were living kind of a regular neighborhood life. And yeah. then, you know, and then all of a sudden you're kind of off on an own, your own island. I mean, what yeah. was that like? Uh, that was not fun. It was it was hard for me to be in school and make friends because I wanted so badly for people to like me. I wanted to belong, um, but I I didn't. The stuff that I was interested in, the things that I wanted to do, it was not common in my school. K through twelve, nobody in my school was was getting the the real world experience that I was, and it it definitely separated me. And, and regardless of how I put myself out there, it, if I put myself out there too much, everyone thought that I was showing off. Yeah. And if I didn't put myself out there at all, everyone thought that I was stuck up. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And so it, it really wasn't until um, I moved to LA and was able to make friends that were doing the same things that I was, yeah. that I that actually felt like I found my group. I still yeah. have friends in, in Philly. Um, that have all moved to different places, people that I grew up with. I have like one or two people that are still actually very close friends of mine. And and it's very rare, I think, to keep that basis of familiarity with other people that aren't necessarily in the industry. Did you go to uh, school for acting? Did you go to college or anything for it? Or did you just keep working because you're already working? I did. So I went to a regular high school, public school in Philadelphia. And then I had, uh, uh, you know, tutors all the time. Mm -hmm. I had uh, social workers on projects. And I had to maintain my own curriculum. And then um, I had just a year, one semester in California at a continuance school and was able to transfer my records back so I could walk at graduation with my Philadelphia Oh, wow, wow. But I had one year out here where I went to high school with, like, Mila Jovovich and Bill Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The weirdest year of school you can imagine. Now, did that, at these these lonely times, did you ever, like, think about, like, ah, maybe I should go back to being a regular kid, you know? I I have that every, I I mean, you know, 
to to have a career over any length of time, it is it's really apparent that you're going to have ups and downs. Yeah, that you're going to have periods of time where just you're unhirable for whatever reason, and it's it 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 can be incredibly discouraging um, and deeply depressing. But I have at each of those moments consistently reaffirmed that. I believe this is what I do. Yeah. Um, but I also know that that's up to me. It's up to me to always be better, to always work harder, to continue to evolve. And and more than anything, to show people how I want to be seen. Like yeah. no one is ever sitting around waiting to cast you or think about you. They are too busy doing exactly what's in front of them. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, every time I've auditioned for something, I I, I remember this is up to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not always going to be right for everything, but I've got to show people why, why it's me and not somebody else. Yeah. 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 Um, so how, what age are you in, when you move out here? Uh, is the same year I turned 17. 17. Yeah. And are you like, ha, do you sustain yourself with show business th- or do you ever have I've to never, get- I've never had another job. Wow. Outside of this industry, which is insane. But it's uh, you have never had the shit kicked out of you. Like, <laughs> I mean, you've had the shit kicked out of you. Yeah, but you've had a very high class getting the shit kicked out of you. But yeah, it is exclusive to this yeah. industry. Yeah. Although, you know, since we started doing Robot Chicken, I had the experience of coming into an office every day. Yeah, yeah, and you know, w- working amongst people in the equivalent of cubicles and and living in a. Um, you know, that regular coming yeah. to the same workplace existence. Although I got to tell you, it's a lot. That's ro- you're still working in a place called Robot Chicken, <laughs> where it's like, you know, yeah. people are playing with dolls. Absolutely. You know, you're not, you're not, you know, you're not, it's not an office of actuaries I figuring some, out like, I, had you know, some I mean, I know it's between like having to learn word processing yeah. and having to file paperwork yeah, yeah. on time and um, everything from time cards to OSHA uh, yeah. requirements, but um, it is still making television. And so that in itself is, I know, unique. Yeah. And I can tell you that the most boring, bone crushingly boring day or moment of Robot Chicken is thrilling compared yeah. to a tool and die maker. There's you, that, work, um, you know, it's just. There's, a, there's an amazing line in the disaster artist where all of the extras are sitting around talking about how fucked up this experience is and how unbelievably disastrous this movie is and how nobody even knows if this is a movie and it's yeah. probably something they'll all be embarrassed about. And then they commiserate that even the worst day on a film set is better than any work oh, day for anyone precisely. else. If this is what you do, yeah. if this is where your passion is and yeah. what drives you, then then anything besides this is devastating. I and, and when I say like, oh, you haven't had the shit, I don't mean that like as you're a lesser than. I mean, you're I'm deeply you're offended lucky. by your <laughs> no, underestimation I mean, of you're, me, Andy. You're lucky. <laughs> you're like, you don't, because I, I do think that sort of, there is there is something that is, Use, well, that we can tell ourselves about being, about la- having somebody, like I've always said about my kids, like I want them to have, be told by somebody that is just like a fucking asshole. They have to do what that person says mm-hmm. every day to make a wage. Yeah. And that there is something that's kind of like, like I say, it's humbling. It's a real world experience because that yeah. is really what boiled down what a lot of employment and a lot of adult life is doing something that somebody you're not crazy about is telling you to do for a wage so that you can make money but it's not healthy it's like yes it's humbling and yes it teaches you some kind of 
life skill and patience, but it also makes you fucking angry. <laughs> I have so much fucking anger in me about just like, how dare you tell me what to do? And I have no, it's just, it's just goes out into the ether. It doesn't, mm-hmm. I mean, there's parents involved and there's, but it, there's also, and there's coaches and high school teachers, but it's still like, you know, it's there still was like I was in a place where I felt like I don't even like this place and I have <laughs> yeah. to fucking now sweep up and yeah. I have to and you're going to, you know, like bitch about my the 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 uh, my sweeping ability. Yeah. You know, I where, should be on the stage, sir. Where you're, um, you're tasked with caring about someone else's passionate thing that they're not even that passionate oh, about. And oh, fuck, the waiting tables. Where I would have these moments where I'd realize the most important thing in my life right now is getting that fucker his iced tea because mm. I forgot it twice. <laughs> and that's the most important thing in my life right now. And that should – that's crazy. Yeah. And I would just have like where I'd feel like I want to fucking cry. But the right, the right employer – will be able to inspire you. Oh, absolutely. With, with their passion, yes. with their dedication, and it makes you want to do a good job, even if you don't organically desire whatever it is that they're, that you're tasked with. I, I have one thing I've never understood and just kind of like, and you now, you are a, you know, you're a check signer as opposed to a check endorser. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you- Which I don't love, by the way. But it's, but it's- it's a natural evolution. It's a healthy evolution. It's a very adult thing to do. I appreciate the responsibility. Yeah. I I have always seen myself as the artist that is amongst the artists. And as, yes. as obnoxious as it sounds to declare yourself an artist, I know that the, that's my best instincts. That's where right. all of my skill set lies. That's where all of my entire life's dedication yeah. is put. And so when I'm doing things that are not that, that, that 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 just feels wrong. It makes yeah. things feel out of tune. But it's but you know, there's other people that are really specializing in it. But you know, you are you're a creator. You were in a creative business, and as a creator, sometimes that turns into a business. You yeah. got to you got to pick a name. Well, you gotta, and, I, and I appreciate that you know, responsibility legally. Too. Yeah, the sa- same as um as I'm tasking any employer with. I want to be an employer that inspires all of our workforce to do their best job to discover their own um, way of doing it inside our mandate. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think you know, and that's uh, what I was. Starting to say was that it's always amazed me from working, like I say, in a grocery store, waiting tables, uh, working for a moving company, um, and then starting as a production assistant. Because I worked, I, before I ever acted, I worked in production in Chicago on commercials and industrial films. And so, I, and starting at the bottom, like starting at like the flat rate, $100 a day for 16 hour days, yeah. doing fucking. Having to do anything, it was like being a child, which I always say the worst thing about being a child is that everybody can tell you what to do. And as a production assistant, everybody can. Like, you don't have to just be, sorry, I only do what the wardrobe designer says. No, (laughs) the fucking electrician says to you, coil that. You got to coil that, you know. And you better twist it while you coil. Yeah, and you got to do it right, yeah. And uh, and, But (laughs) I've always been amazed by the people that think, if you just want to look at people as machines to get productivity out of, the sweetest way to do that is be nice to them. Yeah. Is be kind to them. If you're a dick to them and you make them feel scared, 
the minute your back is turned, they're going to be like, fuck you, man. I mean, I used to, yeah. when I worked in production, the people that were mean to me, I would steal from them. I would, <laughs> I would make up fake taxi receipts and be like, all right, yell at me again, fucker. Here's 40 bucks you just gave me out of yeah. like six taxi receipts. Because in those days, you just, taxi drivers would just give you a blank slip. And if you gave them 10 bucks, they'd give you a whole pad of them. What? In Chicago. And you could just make out like, oh, I had to take 12 taxis yesterday while I was running errands. But I'm always amazed by people that don't get that, that don't get that, like, kindness is the thing. And and also, and it sounds like you're doing that, too. And if you're working on something creative, that's, nobody, nobody creates well when they're scared and yeah. mad. It's, they just create it when they're happy. It's hard, though, for anyone to step outside of themselves and observe their own interactions with other people. <clears throat> and typically, people are just dealing. They're just yeah. dealing. And so if you're in an, an employer position and you have deadlines and responsibilities, you can pay forward your own anxiety by yelling at someone else. But it 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 takes, you know, some external observation. Yeah. It, it takes yeah. like a moment of reflection to, it's true. to realize what you, to, to even think about what you want those interactions to be yeah, like. Yeah. And it's a strength of character and it's a kind of a poise and a, an otheredness that, you know, you know, some people possess in different degrees, like being focused on other people. Some people can't do it at all. Some people I've only got to do through. it too much like I do. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's well, for my therapist. It, it only came to me through experience, both um, being yelled at, you yeah. know, um, both watching other people be yelled at and, and, you know, commiserating with them about how that felt or how discouraging it was. And then by the time I was in a position of employing, I had already had, you know, more than 20 years in this industry. And yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd gotten a witness and I paid close attention to sure. the results of all different tactics. Yeah, yeah. And I, the other, were there times, like, were there times, well, this is always, because this is interesting to me, because there was a point in my career when I, you know, I'd work and I would want to be, I'd, you're, you're conditioned to do as you're told, hmm. especially as an actor. You, you know, like in the very beginnings of acting school that, you know, one of the basic things that most of them teach you is that you're a slave to the script. Hmm. And there's an improv version of that, that no one player is more important than the, the ensemble. Hmm. So that means submit. So if the script, if you got a problem with whatever this motivation is, no, you're a slave to the script. You have to do what it says. And it, it gets more loosey-goosey as time goes on. And you start to be able, like a director tells you to do something that you just think like, oh, what a corny choice. Mm. At a certain point, did you get to a point where you could start to say like, nah, I don't really want to do it that way or, you know. I definitely gained some confidence in my own opinions. Yeah, um, yeah. And that what I was bringing to the table was as valuable as what anybody else could yeah. bring. And when um, does that start for you, you think? Uh, young. I mean, when I was still a teenager, when I, when I moved out here by myself and it became um, my responsibility to get work, yeah. I would do unconventional things. I was still auditioning for a ton of commercials and I would just do anything to stand out, whether that was improvising or how I was dressed or, you know, how I would graffiti my Polaroid so uh -huh. that so that when they're looking through the folder, it's like face, 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 yeah. what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, and that helped me. I've had so many people after the fact tell me that it was exactly those things that stood out. If you're watching a hundred people audition for something, it's the person that makes a choice you haven't seen 
that you notice. It's the person that does something unique that even makes you watch their entire tape. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, you don't want to go out of your way to be ridiculous, but at the same time, it's very difficult to even stand out. Yeah. And, and that's the truth about any of it. You know, there's so many people that want this job. You can't just coast on any one thing. You have to constantly be working to be better. Yeah. You talk about watching the Emmys. Everybody that was nominated got lucky enough to get whatever part it was that they're nominated for or, or write or create or direct, whatever it is that they're nominated for. But it's on those individuals to knock it out of the fucking park, yeah. to really just strangle, crush that thing with everything they've got every time they get up to bat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, where for you, like, is the moment, like, like I found when I came out here and started working, probably the most, aside from like, I always like making people on set laugh. And yeah. I like, I like being, I like me, and I mean, whether the camera's rolling or not, yeah. I like being in a place, in a workplace and having fun and being fun. Me too. But for me, I loved getting the job. Like that was always like to get the job was like, that was kind of where I felt like, this is, a, I, this is where I feel the juice. Like <laughs> I, when I started doing improv and there were people that would get up in front of the crowd and you could just tell that they were soaking something up. Like that was like nourishment to them. <laughs> and for me, it was always kind of like, well, that's nice, but really it's more about the play for me, you know, yeah. but it, none of it felt like the juice. It all felt fun. But like, I just remember getting, was there, is there a point like for you that was like the real, like, this is the marrow of the bone of this business for you? Um, well, for me, my, it's, it's or all, is it all, it's always been the same thing where I really love performing. Yeah. I love, um, I, I love doing all the work in advance so that when the camera rolls or when I hit the stage, it is just happening. And yeah. I'll always get really nervous right before it starts. And then when it's, when it's happening, it's like everything feels Zen, you yeah, know, yeah. when, when of the preparation, when I've done the work in advance, yeah. then when I do it, it just, it, it's, it's there for me, yeah. you know, and I love, um, finding it with other actors. I love, uh, giving a director exactly what they want. I love when the crew laughs if we're trying to be funny. I, I like making people feel stuff, and that's usually where I, I vibe the highest. Yeah, yeah. And when you started working live, I mean, how did that compare to? Because I imagine that you were, you know, you started doing live stuff when you were a little kid, but then yeah. you were in motion pictures. I was lucky enough young to do adulthood, movies, right? but I got cast. Man, I did so many guest spots and so many day oh, plays. Oh, and sitcoms. Oh, yeah, yeah. Multi-camera yeah. stuff, on single-camera stuff. Like, I, I, that's, it's, I worked on everything. Yeah, I was, yeah. I, I really just enjoyed that. Like, I got the benefit of being a journeyman character actor for years before anybody knew my name. That's amazing. And so, by the time that's people actually well, that's knew like my I name. Well, that's like I said. I said yeah. when I first saw you, I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah. That guy I've been watching for years. Yeah. yeah. But it feels like an overnight thing, but it's been a, you know, a 30-year hustle. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And it's very easy to just fade. But like I say, it's, it, it is always my own responsibility to show people how I want to be seen. Right. And the more people know you, the more they feel they know you. Yeah. And so, it becomes even more critical to to reshape how they consider you. Cause nobody has the time yeah. to think about everybody all the time. Yeah. 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 How does, how does a live audience compare to a, a onset? 
um, performance to you? Do, do I, you? I think I prepare for it the same way. The, the difference between a live thing and something that's filmed is you get the, um, the real-time response. And so you can sort of evolve to get that ride a little bit higher. C- c- comedians will talk about that too. You can tell when the audience is engaged yeah. and when your pause or your timing or your improv like you just sort of feel it. It's like, it's like chemistry, you know? Yeah. You, you can tell when something can go longer to get a bigger laugh. Yeah. Um, I always talk about that with sitcoms. When you're filming in front of a live audience, even though you can make mistakes yeah. and go back, you have them. And so it, it becomes about how you're standing, the face that you're making, your timing, your reaction. That all grows the response of the audience. And that's, that's an alchemy I love. Yeah. yeah. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway. And on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my loves are growing? When you first come out here as a young man, is are your folks okay with that? Are they are they <laughs> yeah, nervous? Are yeah, they, they I were, mean you've already worked. They were so. dealing with their breakup, so uh, they were they were both dealing with their own things. Yeah, my yeah. mom didn't move you out snuck here until, out while they were Yeah. <laughs> well, it was critical. I had been fortunate enough to get cast from different pilot seasons and get cast in guest spots on existing shows. So it was very important for me to come to LA yeah. and be able to be their first person. Like they sent teams to cast out of New York. They'd occasionally send tapes to Los Angeles, but just being able to walk into the room sure. with the people yeah. and ha- have your interaction with them not confined to exactly what's on tape, that yeah. was an incredible leg up. And also too, one thing that people don't realize is that the casting business and show business is every bit as last minute and fucked up as any other business. And they yeah. will go, we need someone for this part and we need them tomorrow. Yeah. Like that's always struck me throughout. Like, wait, what? You've had this script for how long? And now, yeah. you know, you're telling me I have to go to Vancouver on Tuesday? Yeah. Like, why didn't you ask me two weeks ago? Well, and as an actor, you can get out and say, this is yeah. so unfair. I'm not being given the real prep and no one's helping me. But if you're on the other side of that producing or directing – then it comes down to who the fuck can do this right now? Yeah, who yeah. is already well prepared and exactly what I need to just jump in, yeah. get these lines and kill it on stage. Right. Like that's that's the truth. And so I always say that to other actors, just get sharp as you can, be prepared 
all the time because 99% of it is rejection. Yeah. But that 1% is going to come from you shining when you didn't know you had to. Yeah. And somebody's saying, oh, shit, you. I could use you tomorrow yeah. on this thing, but you're not going to get the three months to work out for it. Yeah. You're not going to get your fight choreography that you can practice for yeah, several yeah, months yeah. until you've already gotten the job. So yeah. the more prepared you can be, the more ready you can be whenever yeah. your shot comes, the better your odds are of being yeah. cast. And you got to be here because there are little jobs that happen that you're not going to even hear about when you're not. It definitely helps yeah. or, or like just coincidentally being in Atlanta when they need like somebody to show up last yeah. minute for a local hire. It's, right, right. It's impossible to predict. Yeah, yeah, It yeah. really is. The best thing that any actor or anybody can do is just always be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, what, what happened for a series regular or like big film role for you? Uh, I got... Cat, the first feature film I got, I was eight years old. And oh, wow. it was uh, The Hotel New Hampshire. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Which was all of I'm these. telling you. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were in that. <laughs> I was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks for bringing that up. Sure, I never sure. really remembered. Yeah. Um, but I got the the benefit of working with all of these incredibly experienced people. Yeah, no at kidding. all different ages and all different categories. Um, and it was an unbelievable education. Yeah. yeah. And uh, But when you're out here, like when you, you, know, when you go from, like as you said, the character actor, the young character actor that everybody knows, but they don't really know his name. Yeah. What turns that corner for you? Uh, that wasn't until it was the same year that I went and did uh, Conan. I had this convergence of things in the same year where Austin Powers came out on DVD. Yeah. Um, I got made a series regular on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, and right. uh, a movie called Can't Hardly Wait came out. And so that same year... Uh, the year who, of Seth Green is what it's <laughs> known as in the showbiz Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's been uh, it's it's been stamped and sealed. Um, no, that oh, was you mean the, Y-O-S-G? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was it. That was the year that that people knew my name. Yeah, yeah, D- and different than there. It, and there was that sort of um, a- anything that had come before was aggregated against that new revelation. People right. were like, "Oh yeah, this was that guy that did that commercial, that did this movie, that did this guest spot." Yeah, and it was it was like an overnight success that was you know almost twenty years of course. In the making. And does it is it all good? Is do you go a little nuts? Do you handle it? Is it you know a little bit of much change? Yeah, I was still as dedicated to the working, and I felt like I had gotten a a level up in a yeah. way uh, because I had access um, and I was seen as a desirable commodity. Mm-hmm. And so I got auditions that I wasn't getting before. I got to um, do award shows and talk shows. And e- each one of those things was an opportunity to showcase myself. Mm-hmm. And um, it definitely was different. The The hardest adjustment for me was getting recognized at that volume um, because I both felt an obligation to yeah. anyone that took the time to remember me or wanted to interact with me. And and as a result, was kind of negligent to my real life or my actual friends or anyone mm-hmm. I was dating. Um, and on the other hand, it, 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 it also became a very troubling reality where I was no longer anonymous. Yeah. You know, I used to dick around at the mall or, uh, you know, be very silly at the movie theater or create a scene in a restaurant because it was for fun. Yeah. It was fun. Pranks for your friends. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't really do that in the same way. And I'm only grateful that, it, that I didn't go through that time in um, an age of social media Yeah, because it would have been far more um, 
permanently damaging. So, so as a result, what, I got were, you, to, what were you doing? No, it was waving just, your dick around at no, TGA I, Fridays or something. Well, you know, my, my buddy Brecken and I would stage, um, <laughs> gunsling, gunslinger shootouts oh, at the local Jesus Arby's Christ. or something where uh, we would, you know, the, with real guns. Or no, something? we had we had like a whole Toys R Us kids oh. <laughs> six shooters, <laughs> and we would, you know, simultaneously kick open the doors on the opposite sides of the restaurant and do like. <laughs> well, it's hard to sit it there while everyone themed. is trying to figure out what is happening, and then we're like pow 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 pow, shoot each other back oh. through the doors, and then race away in our vehicle. We'd just be silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Brecken would, like, throw himself down the aisle of the, the uh, CityWalk Cinerama and, like, <laughs> spill an entire box of popcorn and right. large soda and then yeah, start yeah. crying just to make the audience laugh. And <laughs> nobody knew who we were. And the second people started recognizing you, you can't, you can't stunt yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it also was a little disconcerting to walk into an airport or walk into a restaurant or walk into a public place and literally have every person, regardless of their age, see me and yeah, become alert. To it's me. a weird, like, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. It's a weird uh, one. Uh, one shortly after I got the Conan show is back. I've told this before. My back in Chicago at Christmas time, my mom needed to go to Best Buy while she was buying what she needed. I just wandered around looking at DVDs or whatever. And when we got out to the car, she said, a bunch of the people that worked there were following you around. The whole store was yeah. looking at you. And she was saying as it like, isn't that great? And yeah. I was like, mom, think about the phrase, the whole store was looking <laughs> at you. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you are a huge, like there is, like, yeah, I know why. You're, you're like, your smart brain knows, like, yeah, I'm on TV. That's why they're all looking at me. But, yeah. like, your lizard brain is like, why are you all looking at me? Yeah. You know, like, is this a threat? Are you going to attack? Well, I had this realization because I was becoming so disconcerted by it. And I this, – this will sound funny, but I, I looked to Will Smith, who is an incredible celebrity prototype. Yeah. Because he is a big star. Yes. And has no misunderstanding of – why people are looking at him and he maintains a brightness, a joyfulness. He really, he really does it well. And I, I kept saying, I've got a, I've got a Will Smith this a little bit better. Yeah. I can't be pensively curled up in a ball, angry at people for having watched me or connected with something that I've done. I don't need to, um, specifically dedicate my life to servicing fans, but I, I owe it to myself to not be surprised when I go in public if someone recognizes me. Yeah. And I can't have contempt for somebody that wants to have a moment yes. because it's coming from a positive place. Yes. And I, I, I started trying to think about it as a, a basic compliment, like somebody saying, oh, I like your jacket. And just being like, oh, thanks. Yeah. I made a good creative choice with how to dress myself this morning. Yeah. Yeah. If someone was like, hey, I saw that movie. Or, or even worse in today's day and age where people will just sort of randomly be filming you when you're doing mm-hmm. public stuff instead of knocking their phone out of their hand and saying, why don't you learn to be a fucking human? Yeah. I've started saying, hey, what's up, man? Do you want to take a picture instead yeah, yeah, of stalking yeah. me like a creeper? Yeah, no, they do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, although it is weird, it's like there are people like uh, having known Will Ferrell for a long time, going mm-hmm. out in, and having been out in public with Will Ferrell, it is like people – Love Will Ferrell with such a fervor. Yeah. I have, it's been a few years, but like it gets, it's too much. Yeah. It's like trying to stop a wave of 
the you know coming in off the ocean yeah and you do have to like sitting at a we were working on a movie sitting at a meal with a table full of 12 15 people and him having to tell the whole restaurant i can't take a picture until we're done with our meal i can't and people getting fucking pissed yeah and then when he gets up, literally the entire restaurant sets upon him. <laughs> 60, 70 people just set upon him. Like they've all been, yeah. like it's a flash mob of of picture takers. Yeah. You know, like all of a sudden, oh, wait, we weren't having lunch. We were just waiting for Will Ferrell. Well, and you, that's You have to mentally resolve yeah. how to contend with that, yeah. how to continue to be able to do the thing that you love yep. and not just crumble underneath being free. It's real. I know it's real, <laughs> but it's really hard too because it's got to limit him. You know, mm-hmm. that's got to li- like I, I think, you know, I can say, oh, so and so not being go- saying they can't go to the grocery store. That's ridiculous. You can go to the grocery store. I can go to the grocery store. But I'm not Will Ferrell. Yeah. You know, I don't know if Will Ferrell can go to the grocery you, store. You I can don't know. Go. You know. There's just a certain um, reality that you have to accept. Yeah, that, yeah. that it could spark this kind of reaction. I know. Like, but like Tom Cruise. Like, can yeah. Tom Cruise go to the fucking Gelsons? No. Can he go to Ralph's? No, because everybody in the place would notice that he's yeah. Tom Cruise and become interested in what his shopping yeah, habits or techniques are. That's weird. It's yeah. a weird thing to trade but, off. But knowing know? Tom Cruise, he is such a proto-human that I think he would do it just to set an example of what awesomeness can look like at Gelson's. <laughs> yep. This probably. is how I shop, and you can yeah. do it too. And now I'm going to run shop. And yeah. then he just runs with that weird <laughs> learned run oh my God. that he does. Let's bring back Supermarket Sweep and make Cruz the contestant. <laughs> he would just Karate chopping hams into the cart. <laughs> well, now, how do you, uh, how does Robot Chicken come about? How'd it come about? Yeah, because totally you're, you know, by accident. you're an actor, and then yeah. all of a sudden you're a producer. You got a hit show, which is... 10th season now yeah. on Adult Swim. The, the strangest reality. I think I've only been able to continue to do it by deeply compartmentalizing all of that. Because I still, we still focus on just making something that we enjoy making. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and very, and a very homemade aesthetic. Yeah. Which it probably started out because it was homemade, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. yeah, we get a lot of leeway with with the, uh, the look of the show or the style of the show or what kind of things we can cheat. Because it's not meant to look flawless. We, we save... Um, you know, more detailed, pristine animation for other projects, but but Robot Chicken can can feel a little handmade, and I like that. Yeah. Um, it started out because I just wanted to make something. I I I had been doing a ton of acting, but I had never produced anything. Um, and I had friends, Bre- Breckenmeyer and uh, Ryan Phillippe, and my friend Adam Talbot. We we I had a video camera. And uh, we were just inspired to shoot our own sketches, to make our own stuff. And we started shooting shorts and I would get editorial time at a local um, uh, place and, you know, figure out how to cut it together and do credits and stuff. What year is this? That, I don't even think I was 18 when, oh, we, started, wow. when we started shooting. And is this on stuff. three quarter inch tape? On it is on super uh, beta or uh, something like that? VHSC. VHSC. I keep yeah, thinking yeah. about transferring all this shit, but I'm, I'm a little scared to look at it. And it, it, it's, it's super rudimentary. I've had a thought about putting it up on YouTube just to put just it out fun. there. But I honestly haven't watched any of it in, in quite a while. I don't, you know, comedy you doesn't let, age. You should let somebody you trust look at it and yeah. pull clips, you know, yeah. that like say, don't embarrass me, but let, you know, but pull clips. Because I think that somebody that you trust will be able to have a better. Because I, I look at every old thing I ever did and I hate it. I just know? wonder if there's actual value to it. I feel like all of the things that we were talking about have been so dramatically improved upon. Yeah. That it's, that it's I have to wonder if there's even, if even as a cure 
curiosity, it'd be interesting. Um, well, I think for people for people that have been spent ten years watching the show, yeah. to see its roots, I think would be actually sort of informative well, and interesting. Well, the roots of the show start a little bit later, un- unless you could argue that just making my own stuff was inspiration for yeah. making this. Because it it, this is live action stuff, yeah, where it's that not was all animation. Okay. No, we were doing weird parodies of like Power Rangers and Pulp oh, yeah. Fiction, yeah, and yeah. we were doing uh, just just like silly sketches of. And it was all the same kind of deconstructive pop stuff. Yeah. Um, Is there drinks involved? Uh, no, we, nobody, we were You're like the sober. cleanest kids. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's probably why it's still, you know, why it still holds up. <laughs> why we had that yeah, work, if you that were, work that, ethic. Yeah. To, no, if you were all fucked up, then you'd be like, oh no, we can't show this to anybody. Yeah. Well, and then, um, it was, I was going on Conan as a matter of fact, I was scheduled to go on Conan for like the third time. And um, I, I had just been talking about myself so much. I was really stuck in an interview mode and I wanted to make something. Yeah. Um, and I had an action figure that was coming out from Austin Powers. And I had heard that Hasbro had produced this doll of Conan for some anniversary thing. And I was like, oh man, if I could just get those two toys together and shoot some silly stop motion thing about us saving the world or going to San Diego Comic-Con or something yeah, before yeah. that was even a thing that pu- the, the general public knew about. Um, and that was really the, the roots of it was wanting to make this short and then an insane series of events that through happenstance um, got us producing 45 minutes of content for a website uh, before there was broadband uh, interface. So through dial-up, Sony had launched a precursor to, to YouTube and they were throwing a little bit of money at a bunch of different creators to try and generate what they were calling linear content. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's amazing that, that all that shit was not that long ago. Yeah, that was, that was about 99. Yeah, it's so uh, weird. That we made that deal with Sony to produce all these shorts. And that's the actual origins of Robot Chicken. And so I produced this one uh, short that is five and a half minutes about me and Conan going to a a celebrity con and running into like the Dukes of Hazard and Knight Rider and Smurfette and all of these ridiculous. Did you show characters. that on the show? Because I did. Uh, yeah, I remember. I'm yeah. like, my memory of the show is so you know, it's such a dusty Mrs. Haversham's <laughs> dining room. But I like, yeah. yeah, I remember that. We came up with a bit that uh, well preceded Britney Spears having any kind of public breakdown where we just hypothesized that she was crazy. And uh, the joke <laughs> the joke was that Conan was only coming with me to this con because he wanted to meet Britney. Yeah. We met all these other assholes on the way to meet her. And then when we met her, she was fucking nuts. And it was very, very silly. Yeah. Um, and then she gets hit by the, the Dukes of Hazard car. It's very complicated. Um, and shaves her head. Well, that was I know, years. I know, I know, I know. Years before yeah, yeah. that. I felt but imagine if you'd terrible. done that. Oh, I know. Oh, my God. I it's felt gotta be rough. genuinely terrible. I know. You know, she's a simple, sweet girl right. with a lot of talent who never should have been put in the position of I know. answering questions and then about you, global you politics. You just are like, yeah, sure, Britney Spears is crazy. And then, like, years later, was, you just feel like, oh, fuck. I feel bad. Yeah, well, I and also the idea of Conan obsessing over someone much younger than him. And then when he meets her and she's a, she's out of her mind it was just very funny yeah um yeah so that was it we we had that 45 minutes of content and we started shopping it around to other outlets every Mm -hmm. place from comedy central to mtv to try and sell it um and it was almost set up at comedy central and then september 11th happened and kind of killed comedy for several months and soured that deal and 
uh, in that time period because um, we had already done the first season and a half of Family Guy that got canceled. Yeah. Um, and then Adult Swim developed out of the Cartoon Network and started producing their own original content. They bought the uh, those existing seasons of Family Guy, started showing them in second run, and it was doing really well. So oh, Seth yeah. MacFarlane yeah, yeah, called yeah. me and because he had participated in our original webisodes uh-huh. and said, hey, that, that thing you're trying to sell, this might be a place for it. So then my partner, Matt Senrash, and I took a meeting with Mike Lazo and Keith Crawford, and they greenlit 20 quarter hours of a show, and we had to figure out how to make a show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was still Adult Swim. It was the midnight block on Sunday yeah. of a late night cable extension of the Car- Cartoon Network. And what are the lengths of the episodes? At, are, and have they always been? Yeah. This, is it 15 minutes? It's under 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you've it- got an ad block at the yeah, end yeah. of it. And it's always been that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was always this. It was, you know, stop motion sketch comedy with action figures. And we lampooned pop culture and some current events. But because of the lead time, it's only pop that's sticky enough to remember a year later. Right, exactly. Or or now in today's age where the internet is is beating us to parody on almost every subject, it's coming up with a different point of view or a different kind of joke that someone's not going to make on YouTube. And I imagine there's almost no... Sort of nobody telling you what to do. Um, we have, you know, there's certain laws and specific details right. about the way fair use parody works yes. that we have to adhere to. But but that's not somebody. That's the law. I mean, yeah. there's not somebody going like, "Hey, don't poke fun of Pepsi no. or whatever." We well, you know, there have been incidents where uh, Adult Swim will have a major advertiser, yeah, and they don't want us to make some yeah. terrible joke about it. But we also can can make a case for why it's critically important mm-hmm. or why this is not um, a, a restriction that we should adhere to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's o- and there's always trading going on. Like I always like I when I started working in sitcoms and working on writing, helping write sitcoms, and just the notion that you got a joke that's kind of rough that you're afraid is going to get kicked out, so you. You put a joke that's like way shittier and like way dirtier and way more, yeah. you know, unacceptable a page before it. So they're <laughs> like, what are you crazy? Get rid of that joke. And then the, <laughs> the one that you actually want to do seems sensible. All right. In we'll comparison. cut this Holocaust gag if you yeah, let yeah. us keep the rape ghost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if those are the particulars <laughs> I would have chosen, but, you know, this is, you know, it's robot chicken. We we did a sketch. It was uh, Ben Stiller getting a new job at a new museum and like wondering what the antics were going to be. And you widen out to reveal it's the Holocaust Museum. <laughs> and he's like, oh, fuck this, man. <laughs> nope. Oh, I quit. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, 
we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Well, now you've gone from uh, TV producer to auteur. You have a movie. <laughs> I that did. You wrote and directed this? Yeah. Uh, was that scary as hell? Um, I mean, the writing, I guess, you know, that's not scary, you know, but the directing. It, it all felt really matter of fact to me until I actually put it out. Yeah. Um, and, the, and then I had to- Put it out in what sense? Like- Like release the movie. And, oh, then, and then all oh. of a sudden I'm having to answer questions with people. And I, I realized I'm like, oh God, well, this is insane. This was an insane endeavor. But for me, it was so matter of fact. I was inspired to tell a story. I knew that no one else was going to be able to- interpret my idea for yeah. the, the money and the time that we had to do it. And it, it just made sense. I would be in a unique position to collect exactly the people, exactly the participants that I thought would help me be able to achieve it. Yeah. Um, and I knew firsthand what I wanted it to look and feel like. And so that was, that's really the directing of it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, not to make you repeat yourself a million times, but quickly the inspiration of the movie happens. You, and actually a guy I yeah. know, a, fr- a friend of mine too, yeah. a mutual friend, you guys go on a trip. Yeah. So I'd been coming to do Conan for so long that your segment producer, Dan Ferguson, and Daniel I became, Ferguson, yeah. be- became like best friends. He was Dan Ferguson, and then he became Daniel after a while because he had to be classy. Right. Yeah. But we we started, uh, uh, you know, doing pre-interviews for, for Conan, and we would talk for half an hour, 45 minutes, uh, and then it started being like twice a year that we would have this conversation. Then eventually I would come to New York a day early, and we would just go out to dinner and yeah. do a pre-interview that way. Well, he's and then we one started of the going most on, fun people. And yeah, he's he's the, the best. best. He's great. Well, and then we started going on vacations together, and then we started like going for a week in Europe together, and it, uh-huh. <laughs> it just became this very funny thing where we had coinciding vacation time, and Dan's such a great producer, I would let him produce our trip. Why not? And pick places. Places that we both wanted to go and set us up for activity or a lack yeah. of activity. He's also an, one of the most enthusiastic people I've ever known in my entire life. Yeah, like he's, he's always, wow, this is great. You know, <laughs> he's got a lot of excellent qualities. Yeah. Um, and so we wow, went. Wow, that yeah. sounded almost left handed. No, he's no. got a lot of excellent qualities. No, no, no. that was a full right hand. I yeah, know, I know. I just, yeah, firm, you know. firm fist right through the center target. <laughs> no, he, um, we went to Thailand for about three days. Wow. And it was part of a much longer trip. His idea, was, your idea? It was, it was his idea because we were. We were going to Africa and we were going to Palau. And uh, then there were places in between that we could stop that made sense. Sure. Um, and Thailand was one of them. Yeah. And so the trip that we had was so unique in the midst of this much larger trip. All of these places that we went to, the people that we met, the experience that we had, the things that we saw, it it felt unbelievably cinematic to me, so much so that I started trying to con- construct a story while we were there. Mm-hmm. I was taking pictures of places and thinking about what the complications would be for shooting in them, how to make an audience feel what I was feeling, right. and, and how to tell a story about people um, also, that I thought would be relevant. how to write off your vacation. <laughs> It became the minute you took one note, it yeah. became a business trip, and you're spending pre-tax dollars. Oh, you're should, a genius. I should have I should have factored that into my returns, but I I never did. It took oh, me years shit. to develop this yeah, movie yeah. into something shootable. So <laughs> I don't I don't know if retroactively I could get the tax. Yeah. Break. Um. But that was really what it was. I spent I spent a bit of time 
trying to write a story because I knew I had an incredible location. I knew I had an, a, 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 an amazing circumstance to tell a really simple slice of life story. Yeah. And I've always and been does attracted- And does the story have a, I mean, without if not getting yeah. any more revealing than you want to, does the story itself have roots in the reality or is it kind of like you were on this trip and it inspired you to for, to write a fiction? More the latter, but, but uh, everything in the movie is based on either experiences that I've had or experiences that I've witnessed. I see. I wanted to tell a story about growing up about mm-hmm. what it is to g- get older, to have a friendship over a long time, to um, – I've been having this experience where so many people I knew who got married young were getting divorced. Yeah. Uh, where people were uh, either having affairs or had their uh, spouse or significant other cheat on them. And I wanted to talk about all that. I, I also found um, – how much it was my responsibility to be the person that I expected other people to be towards me. How, how, how much it was my responsibility to be a good friend if I expected to have good friendships. Um, and I wanted to, to tell a story about that. So, so very, very simply, it's about a guy who uh, prepaid a second honeymoon uh, for a marriage he didn't quite um, admit was failing. Uh, and on the eve of surprising his wife, he discovers she's been having a, a year-long affair. And instead of confronting her, he calls his old best friend and says, I need you right now, and we're going to take this trip together, and you're going to help me figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. And in it, you see the character's own accountability for why this marriage didn't work and uh, where he's correct to blame and also that he hasn't been a great friend. And he's kind of settled into a life that wasn't even necessarily of his choosing. He's kind of given up mm-hmm. and become a little bit of an asshole. Mm-hmm. And it's about, you know, waking up in that moment and deciding that you want something better yeah. and, and it never being too late to start over. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. I like that too, that there's uh that it's a romantic relationship <laughs> a platonic romance because there is it's got you know you don't go to thailand and shoot you know and have all this beautiful scenery and yeah. it not be somewhat that, romantic but that's the fun about it is that we over the course when dan and i went everywhere we went because it's typically reserved for honeymooners yeah. everyone was trying to give us an incredibly romantic experience yeah yeah and uh it was at a time in our our uh our country's history where we had just elected the first black president who was trying to push for uh, legalization of yeah. gay marriage and stuff. And so all over the rest of the world, people were like, what a beautiful uh, romance you guys are having. And they would do things like throw flower petals on our beds and candlelit yeah, yeah. dinners and everywhere. We just, Dan and I were like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, we're, we're here together. Yeah, yeah. We'd start holding hands on the way to dinner so that other people were <laughs> satisfied with the experience they were giving Why us. Why not? Yeah, so I made that a detail in the movie that set against the backdrop of this incredibly romantic place is a character nursing their own heartbreak yeah, and, yeah. And, and having to honestly observe uh, all of their own responsibilities. Yeah. Well, I think it's romantic. I mean, come on, you guys, you guys' story, say, you know, you and Dan, you yeah. know, like you push together for like, you know, show business yeah. and the talk show and, you know, on a real a real friendship grows out of it. I, I think that's romantic. Thank you. I did too. I, I also like showing an example of a positive male friendship. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk currently about toxic masculinity yeah. and, and how people are afraid to show their feelings and sort of this resurgence of the, the super macho man that can't 
even hug his buddy. And yeah. I just, I've, I've never withhold those kinds of affections from people. And I have no lack of confidence about my own sexual orientation to be threatened by yeah. someone else's. And I, I thought showing a, a very positive example of that would be a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Have you, have, have you uh, screened the audience or audience screened the movie yet? Oh yeah. It's uh, come out. And uh, now it's on DVD. Oh, it is. On yeah, DVD. you can get it anywhere. Which oh my is, god, which is what we were going for. And how? I, I felt how, like this was, you, how is? I mean, how are you now? Now that it's out there in the world, and you know, it's kind of the general feeling that people yeah. get from it. Well, I I, I I consistently have to remind myself that I never lead with all of the things that I realize I did wrong or things I could have done better. Yeah. And instead just say, yeah, this is what I made. And I hope you connect with it. Yeah. Yeah. But it was always conceived to be a small intimate experience that I hope people would share. Yeah. And so my goal in releasing it was getting it into people's hands in the easiest way possible. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a real limited uh, theatrical run at some art house theaters, but simultaneously put it out on very accessible cable on demand and uh, 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 several different VODs. Like you can get it on Amazon Prime and, and Apple. Oh, awesome. So it's literally anywhere you yeah, want yeah. it. Oh my gosh. And I'm not sure when this will air, but it's coming to the UK uh, October 1st. It'll okay. Be, it'll be on their uh, Sky Network, which I'm thrilled about because that way it'll be in people's houses. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Now, uh, does it does it inspire you? Like, are you thinking about a next movie to, or is it sort of... You know, like, do you like, does this make you think like, okay, I did this movie. I did this kind of movie and I got this kind of response. Next one is. I don't, I don't think I'm thinking about it the way Ang Lee has to make something in every genre, but I did really enjoy the experience of directing live action film. And I learned a tremendous amount that I would apply to the next thing I direct. Yeah. yeah. I, I have one project that isn't written that I'm considering directing and um i don't know we'll see we'll see how how yeah, fast yeah. that takes shape so but i don't but i don't want i don't really want i have not been inspired to direct for hire yeah there's been um uh two different projects that i met with people about actually no three about directing live action film and um that made me every one of those pitches, I, I would have done the movie if I'd gotten the job. Yeah. But even each one of those pitches made me, it was great experience because in it, you're like, oh, I could have prepared this way or I could have said this, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, now one of the, one of the three questions of this podcast is, you know, where are you going? Hmm. And is that, do you think that that's kind of, that you as a director is kind of that? Or do you think it more as this holistic experience that you're already in the middle of and yeah. just seeing where it goes? Um, I love acting yeah. more than anything. Yeah. And so I really enjoy the experience of directing and producing. And, and to that end, I go where my, my passions drive me. If there's something that I'm inspired to direct, I'll fight tooth and nail to get to make it. Yeah. But my goal is to continue to be an actor for the rest of my life. I still yeah. feel like my best, most informed work is ahead of me. And I'm, I'm optimistic for the opportunities that I will both be given and will be responsible for creating for myself. What kind of part do you want that you're not reading for, not getting? That's what's hard is I've never imagined a role and thought, oh, I need people to see me this way. Yeah. It's, it's always been the part itself that inspires me. Mm-hmm. When I read someone else's material or or someone brings to me an idea and that that creates some some inspiration for 
oh, here's all these ideas of how yeah, I yeah. would perform that. Like, because for me, I would, like, I would love, I, I got to be a murderer once <laughs> and it was fucking great. And I would love to play more murderers. Like, and I think you would be a fucking awesome murderer. Because, oh, thanks. Because you're, no, well, because it is that thing of like, you're, everyone likes you. You you show up on screen. Yes, I like that guy. But have that guy murder people? That'd be fucking fantastic. I've gotten to play a couple bad guys before, and it's always been really satisfying. Um, the 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 most convincing I think I've been as a bad guy was on Entourage, uh-huh. um, and because I played myself, I found it completely disoriented the audience. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was in a time when we were like an asshole version of yourself. Y- yes, and that was kind of the joke. Was I was playing what I thought was an inspired parody of. A, you know, an amalgamation of all of the worst kinds of yeah. movie stars you could meet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything from, you know, never taking my sunglasses off to literally always texting, even when I was in a conversation with somebody. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a brilliant performance. And I guess it it was because it convinced an entire generation of kids that I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> Well, kudos. That's as good as an Oscar. And I really thought about it. I was like, if I'd been playing a character, I might have won an Emmy for this. But because I was playing Seth Green, people were like, hey, fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What a dick. (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty great. That's um, awesome. I'd do that honestly. I it's it's it is. I've been lucky enough to pick and choose, and yeah. and not just take stuff for work. I've worked so hard my entire life that I've and I've been smart about my money and yeah. never never had any major addiction or or any real public humiliations that have made it impossible for me to continue to work. Yeah, so yeah. My goal is just to get to do this forever. Yeah. yeah. I see all the older actors who, you know. Got to do it for their lifetime. That's really all I want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we've talked a lot about show business. And the third question is sort of what have you learned? And I I would want to know, because like I say, we've talked a lot about show business. Like, what have you learned? And because you have been so, so steeped in this business from such a young age, which is a, a very unusual thing. It's also a very unusual thing. To be as healthy as you are, to have, <laughs> seriously, like, do you know any other kids that have been in show business as long as you that started as kids and they're at this point now that are not wrecks? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm still really good friends with uh, Sarah Michelle Geller. Oh, yeah. She and I started when we were, I think she was five and I was seven when wow. we did a commercial together. And then we've gotten to work together a bunch of times. Yeah, so she's yeah. incredibly healthy and unbelievably accomplished and yeah. married to another guy who's been in it almost his entire life. Right, that's right. Two really cool kids. And yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's probably one of the best examples. And then Brecken I've known since we're like 15. And oh, yeah, yeah. Brecken Meyer is still one of the, the healthiest and most sane people I know. Yeah. It, it's tough because this business just kicks the shit out of you. Yeah. And it is incredibly easy to feel on the outside of it all the time. Yeah. Um, but the, one of the things that I've learned is that everyone always feels that way. Yeah. Everyone literally always feels exactly that way. And it's just up to you to work through that, work that, through that fear, that insecurity, and just continue to show up and do your thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like you're going to get uninvited from the party. You just consistently need to re-earn your invitation. And that can be exhausting and brutal. And you just want to think that you've crossed some threshold and that you'll get a pass, but you really don't. And why would you? Yeah. When everyone wants to do this, sure. everyone is fighting for the same volume of, of uh, important slots, yeah. and it is up to you at every moment to prove it. Yeah. You know? You want people to pay to see you. Yeah. Give them something to pay for. And also, you you hear about people that seem to 
they get a little nuts and they start to act like they're indispensable and then they find out oh they're dispensable you know yeah. what i mean and it's it's always sort of i just think that's insecurity too it's, I, yeah. even that even that ego when people are divas on set it just comes from the you, you know when you first start out you don't need all these conditions or totems yeah, yeah. or dumbo feathers to be able to do your thing and then the older you get the the cuz everyone i think suffers from the the fraud syndrome of being uh-huh. convinced that i don't deserve to be here i'm not good enough everybody else is more important and more valuable yeah. and so when you do get in you you almost start to antic just to just to defy that you know just to to make people have to service you yeah um so you know that's something else i've learned is that no one on any set is more important than anybody else yeah. anybody is not doing their job to the best of their ability the thing's just not going to work and how does how does this kind of these kind of lessons like carry over into just life into just real you're married yeah. you know and into you know marriage and friendship and all that kind of stuff do you, yeah you know you got to show up yeah right you gotta you gotta put the time in um well even with, with my wife i just have to watch my tone when i'm talking to her yeah you know if you're a little bit grumpy or you're a little insecure or you're tired or whatever you can come at your partner with a, a tone that you know makes them <sighs> insecure or mm-hmm. angry or upset so it's it's just it's it's just being present and yeah. always trying to say things with love say yeah. things with kindness and an know? awareness and you know an yeah. awareness of somebody other than yourself yeah which the fact that that's what you got at the show business is pretty crazy <laughs> <laughs> mazel tov. well it is just show business i know, you know i know well here i have a they put a piece of paper in front Ooh. of me that says plug sweet Robot Chicken is in its 10th season on Adult Swim, and it's wow. been fucking hilarious for 10 years. That's hey, really, really amazing because it's- We have a lot of help. It's not a singular I know, effort. but it's like it's hard to be make something funny for one season, so great. <laughs> and your movie, Changeland, is now available on video on demand and on Sky in, in England. In the UK. In, and it's on uh, October 10th. It's, it's like all of the stuff, Voodoo and Roku, right, right, right. Amazon Prime. Just like, Google it. Changeland. You can get For this For Christ's sake, you lazy bastards. <laughs> well, Seth, thank you so much. Thanks, It's Andy. always a joy to see you. It's you always too, fun, and I always love talking to you. I know we usually get to run more comedic bits, and this was yeah, yeah. definitely like a detailed conversation no, this, about real this stuff. Is, I want, I want, uh, you know, I want to see the guts. I want you to... Just vent. Well, I here. didn't. I didn't cry, but I feel like we've worked through some important topics. Yeah, and the minute the mic's off, I'm going to make you cry. Oh, sweet! I'm sa- I'm saving the reason, but you'll <laughs> you, you'll you see. heard it here. Oh, it's 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 just really a pinch. I'm just going <laughs> to pinch him real hard. Ow! All right, thank you out there for listening. Uh, this again has been the three questions with Andy Richter, and we will visit with you next time. Bye. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Galit Sahayek, and engineered by Will Becton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? 
Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.